Welcome to the OmniWin Project podcast, where we are accelerating the co-creation of the future of our democracy. My name is Duncan Autry, and I am a conflict transformation catalyst. I'm the creator of the OmniWin Project, and I'm your host. The goal of this project is to facilitate the healing and evolution of our democratic systems and our political culture so that together we can co-create a future that works for everyone. What that means is that if you're tired of our polarized and divisive political culture, or if you're worried about the impact of today's decisions on future generations, well then you're in the right place. I believe that the world is ready for change, and I know that we have answers to most of the problems that we're facing. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing them with you. I'm in this for the long haul, and I hope that you'll join me. So come on over to the OmniWinProject.com where you can get more information, media, resources, and inspiration. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the OmniWin Project podcast. Welcome to the OmniWin Project. The guest on today's show is Carter Phipps. Carter is the author of Evolutionaries and co-author of Conscious Leadership. He's the co-founder of the Institute for Cultural Evolution, which addresses political polarization, and he's the host of the Thinking Ahead podcast. I invited Carter to the show because he truly is thinking ahead. In this episode, we talk about how we must engage in the conscious evolution of ourselves, our system, and our culture without forgetting our past. Thank you for listening to the OmniWin Project podcast. This episode was recorded in July 2022. Please enjoy the conversation with Carter Phipps. Carter, welcome to the OmniWin Project podcast. Thank you for being Great, here. Great, Duncan. Nice to be here. So, Carter, I brought you on here today because, one, I just appreciate you bring a deep understanding of the concepts of cultural evolution and developmental politics. You have a good handle on integral theory. And you have a th- your Thinking Ahead podcast, and you're constantly thinking about the future of our society and our culture and so forth. And I think that understanding what this like developmental approach to politics, I think it could be really useful for people who are trying to think about how to bridge all of our political divisions these days. And honestly, it's a framework that's foundational to my understanding of what's going on. I think every time I look at any political conflict, I'm able to filter it through that lens and... So that's something that we're going to, I want to unpack with you and we can kind of unpack it together. But also you're the author of a really great book called Evolutionaries and the concept of evolution is fundamental to this project. My tagline, though it shifts sometimes, is that I'm accelerating the evolution of our democracy by bringing together various people who have ideas on how to do that. Yes. And so I wanted to actually start with what is what do you think is something about evolution that you really wish people understood? If there is this idea which people might just like flag to Darwin or something. Yeah, or, sure. Right? Most people yeah. see it as a biological process. Yeah, right. Yeah. So what is it that you wish people knew about evolution and its dynamics and why you see it as relevant to our politics and our individual development. Yeah, Yeah. sure. Well, I mean, the book Evolutionaries was, it was about the idea of evolution, how profound it is. And of course, evolution in what most people think is a kind of Darwin and biological evolution and 
natural selection and random mutation, and it is all of that. And that's primarily, in some sense, what it is. But it was sort of also saying, look, the idea of evolution, the idea of development, the idea that things evolve over time, is, it comes to us maybe from biology, but it's a bigger idea. And we can look at the history. And so it was kind of looking at the idea itself and the way it's transforming fields beyond biology, including how we think about cosmology. I mean, the evolution of 13.2 or 13.4, I never can remember which, billion years of, of cosmological evolution, the evolution of this planet, the evolution of the biosphere, and ultimately the development of human civilization. And then one of the aspects you can look at is is instead of looking at human culture as this sort of static thing that's just the technology's changed a bit, but nothing else has changed really over the last 10,000 years, how has human culture itself evolved? This dramatic transformation of human culture in the last 10,000 years, 5,000 years, 500 years, two, even 200 years. And then unpacking that and looking at the different values and worldviews and how culture evolves. Right, so these ideas about how culture evolves through these values, through sets of worldviews, was part of the book. It was just part of the book, not all the book. But that idea in particular is applicable to politics because it helps us get out of helps us get out of just looking at politics through the, the ever-present left-right divide, which has some basic truth, but you know, it's not a very complex. It's an overly simplistic way, of course, to look at politics. So it helps us look at politics in a little more nuanced way and understand some of this, this tribal warfare that we're in the midst of. It helps shed some light. Yeah, thank you. That's, that is, is helpful and I appreciate that framing. And I was thinking, I was, if someone was saying, do you believe in evolution? I, my response I think right now would be, can you think of anything that doesn't evolve? Right. Like, <laughs> One of my convictions saying that point was everything evolves. Yeah, <laughs> everything yeah. evolves. Right? Yeah, right. You hope everything evolves into culturally and a uh, human. You hope things evolve into better and better. And of course, it doesn't always work like that. Now, evolution's complex, tricky. It's not just about higher and higher and higher, especially when we're talking about human culture. It's more. Right. It's much more complex than that. But nevertheless, we're in this process of movement, process of things changing, process of developing individually collectively how do we negotiate that how do we recognize that and how do we support it yeah exactly and i appreciate that yeah things change and sometimes things are adapting to really crappy stuff it's not necessarily feeling like an improvement but you know in the world of like integral theory which is a foundational concept and yes. an idea of like developmental politics yeah. And we have these levels of development that we can grow as an individual. We can grow as a culture and they're identifiable. They seem to be track across the, the board, at least how they played out on this planet in this time. And so there is a trajectory in a way, but then there's also this process. And I was looking at your book and I was reminded that Darwin was inspired by Hegel and this dialectic. And I'm fascinated by polarities and interdependent polarities. But this tension of here we are, we're going to, we have the thesis, we have where we are, and then we have the antithesis, and then some sort of new thing. And then we have the correction to find the new synthesis. And that this is like a process that we're constantly in. And if there's anything I want to get out of this conversation is just to remind everyone that, hey, we're all in a process here. And yes, this isn't adequate. 
you know, we have a problem. It's not adequate. We try something else. We adjust a little bit and now it's a little better and then it's yeah. a little better. And yeah. we have very clearly been on that process. Yeah. So, you know, it's not just about natural selection and who wins and, but it's actually really about this constant process of trying to grow and then grounding ourselves in what's actual possible and then trying to grow and yeah. yeah. I think there's a couple great ideas or important ideas in what you just in, in that description in the sense that like you, you ask earlier, like, what would I like people to know about how evolution works? And especially culturally, it's like one of the ideas is that like you just said, the idea itself that we're in this process, that we're, that things are evolving. I mean, people tend to forget over the course of their own lifetimes or not understand the history, that, that larger perspective of history. They often feel like things aren't what they should be. And then they think, okay, especially as we're younger, I think we feel this often. We feel this kind of revolutionary urge, like we want to remake the world to be what it should be. And that's an understandable dynamic, but I often say we lose, when we lose faith that things are improving, things are changing for the better, we, we reach for revolutionary solutions. So we lose faith in evolution, we reach for revolutionary solutions. And sometimes revolutionary solutions aren't always as helpful. Every once in a while they can be powerful and they can, but they can be also have tremendous downsides. And so the more we can evolve and improve things as a culture without overthrowing everything that came before. Right. The, the better things, the better will, I think the better will do overall. And cultural evolution often happens, I say, you know, say like with a hammer, it, you smash the thing that came before and you try to create something new and turns out that's really has its own massive problems. And you smash that a generation later and create something new. <laughs> And often there's wars in those processes. I mean, I'm oversimplifying. But as we go forward as a human culture, I think we have to get out of that mode of cultural evolution. It doesn't always, sometimes it goes backwards. That mode, we have to become more, uh, do a more, some people talk about conscious evolution. That's kind of what they mean. It's like, we have to use a scalpel instead of a hammer. We have to appreciate more what came before its positives as well as respond to the negatives. And then that way we'll be able to, like you say, move forward, adapt, change without feeling like we just have to overthrow the status quo completely, remake the world anew, either frustrate ourselves and not succeed at all or succeed way too much. And who knows the things we wreck on the way to making the world a better place or quote unquote, yeah. maybe we will, but man, that, that is a way to to lurch through history with a lot of pain and suffering. And I think as we get technologically more powerful and more sophisticated, and as wars get more and more destructive at a global level, I just think we have to find a better way. And so part of that is what we're trying to approach. There was a guest on my previous podcast, Fractal Friends, Ashok Panikar, and actually like your colleague and co-founder of the Institute for Cultural Evolution, Steve, it was the only guest that was on my podcast twice. And he has this metaphor for this, where he's like, imagine you move into this beautiful house in Georgia and it's an old plantation. You realize that it was built by enslaved humans and you 
don't like that. So you decide you're going to renovate it and just overhaul the thing, tear out all of that landscaping. And then you take the hammer and you start smashing down the walls and the things and you start tearing it apart. As you're swinging that hammer, be careful about hitting any of those foundational beams. Because yeah. if you knock out that foundational beam, the whole thing's coming down. And so as we are in that grievance about how things are, and maybe things aren't as far along as we would like, and we have concerns about the past, and da, 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 that your ability to even have this conversation is standing on the foundation of some hard-earned work. Exactly. Yeah. And we yeah. forget that. We, and when we just have a perspective of a few decades, which most of us rarely have that much more than that in terms of what we've lived, sometimes we forget how far, it's so easy to forget how far things have come. I was watching a video today about a, this com, a, a commune in the 70s. And they were interviewing all the participants in this commune. It was for this uh, project I'm doing. And they were all talking about the culture in the U.S. of the 50s and 60s and the way people talked about the culture of the U.S. and how the hippie generation talked about that culture. And it was fascinating to see because they said a lot of things was right. They talked about how it was ecologically problematic and kind of isolated and alienated and a bit soulless and a bit a middle-class lifestyle had no spiritual heart to it and all this stuff that a lot of what I agreed with. But if you take back another hundred years, a lot of the people who created that culture in the fifties came out of the depression. There was a middle class for the first time to that degree in human history. Another 300 years, we'd solved a lot of the survival issues. We began to solve a lot of survival issues of another era. Yes, there were tremendous problems, starting with the, the racial relations in the U.S., ecological disasters, you know, you know, spiritual things that needed to be enriched in all kinds of ways. But again, if you just over, you just say that is bad. That is, and it's like you kind of lurch from one thing to another. And so part of what we're trying to do at this is to say, okay, that's true. That is one, that's the, we talked before the we started here about dignities and disasters. That's the disaster of that era, of that way of thinking about the world, of that value system. That's its pathology. But it, in order to change that, we have to also recognize the tremendous progress that it made on what came before. And if we can do that, if we can, if we can see both that picture, the way we move forward will be different. The way we evolve now will be different. It will include more of what was healthy before, not throw out babies with bathwaters, not lurch forward, not use the hammer, not be evolutionary, not so revolutionary. And hopefully we can begin to kind of take control of the wheel of history just a little bit more and have a few less wrecks <laughs> on the way down the, the road of history. That's the goal is to not just go forward because we hit both sides of the wall, to actually go forward because we're steering a little bit. And that's a big challenge, but that's what we're trying. Oh, I appreciate the use of that metaphor. I use that one often when I try to explain how conflict resolution works and that we have laws and they kind of function as the guardrails of our society. But in between, we're just going to have to negotiate this as individuals. And you know, so don't go over there and don't go over here. But in between, we're going to have to coordinate. And that is going to be a bunch of tiny little micro decisions that keep us on the road and not smashing into each other. And recognizing that we need to engage in that like that constant like 
renegotiation with every car right, that we're right, encountering yeah. and <laughs> recalculate <laughs> exactly so I'm going to try to take a stab at describing a developmental approach to politics as it's developed in the developmentalist and the, from the Institute and Cultural Revolution. So the way I explain it to people is that this polarity of left and right isn't quite so simple, right? That actually functioning in our culture, we actually have three big worldviews that are happening. We have a kind of a traditional worldview, which is rooted in like the origins of our country and our religious backgrounds, like value focused, you know, the modern, which is the dominant worldview then of our generations right now, that's basically based on science and inclusion of all the people and recognizing the global impacts of like things and and that gives us democracy and capitalism and things that and secular culture and all secular that, right? science, totally. democracy. The the values that came Rule from the enlightenment. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's in a way like the U.S.'s huge contribution to the world. I mean, we're the yeah. oldest democracy in the world right now is a big idea to say we, the people at the beginning of you know, the constitution. And so, um, and then coming out of the sixties, we have this kind of postmodern worldview and, yeah. or what we call the sixties. That we have this postmodern worldview, which is saying, wait a minute, this industrial modern thing is dangerous and it's going to destroy the environment. It's kind of dehumanizing and all sorts of issues. And we actually need to start figuring out how we can be inclusive of all the different cultures, all the different religions, and also start carrying, bring the environment into the, into our understanding, recognize how all of our actions are having impact. And that, even though we're still really in a modern worldview, this post, this progressive or postmodern or worldview is, you know, very de jour these days it's very much dominating yes. it's a very uh, it's a send it's ascendant or ascendant, not yeah. ascendant like it has all the power but it's very popular yeah at least on the left it's very uh, it's very ascendant yeah it's very influential totally exactly and culturally in our media it's, and our especially in the media and education systems it's, it's influential yeah. totally and so then and then so we get to three and then realizing that actually, even within that modern reality, we have a left and right within that. We have sort of like a fiscal conservative approach and sort of a liberal inclusion. And that's kind of been this dominant section of our political system, but that has its own left and right within it that we can yeah. actually think about as like traditional Democrats and Republicans. I think like very, yeah, and yeah, right. It's a we, little more swayed by traditional culture. One's a little bit swayed by progressive culture. Exactly. And so then we end up breaking it into four kind of worldviews that we have. And that's, and, and we can see that polarity of the left and right also exists within each of the, within the left and right. So there's a polarity yeah. within the right and a polarity within the left. And the way that this is fractal, actually, we could get any two people and we can actually probably find that polarity again, we get really yeah. all the way down. So all of these worldviews have something really important to contribute to our conversation. They have their dignity. And also all of these worldviews have their shadow side, their disaster, yeah. and the thing that it's like 
progressive things is risky. It's anti-American. You very could yeah. go really dark. Trying to hold on to our traditional values can become very nationalistic, jingoistic, racist. It can get really dark that way too. Yeah. But we need this whole spectrum because we're covering the foundational parts of what makes us who we are. Yeah. We have responsible fiscal thinking and so forth. We have a state that is caring for the people and we have how do we grow and evolve as a world and try to be yeah. more inclusive. So all of these are important. And so a developmental worldview would be something that is recognizing the value, the dignity of each of these worldviews, trying to mitigate the shadow yeah. of each of them. Yeah. And if you're in one of those worldviews, being able to true up one's own worldview, what would you add to that? <laughs> a great description. I think because sometimes I'm saying, well, evolution or cultural evolution about going, just going forward, going up higher, better, but it's, it's not really what we're talking about. What we're talking more is about having a perspective is able to kind of maybe stand outside of some of these different worldviews that you described and say, okay, let's have a different relationship rather than one trying to dominate the others and win the battle, win the cage battle for the future of the civilization. <laughs> Kill the others or dominate the others. But let's recognize there's some value in each of these perspectives. They all have, and there's things we don't want from each of those perspectives. And in that way, like to have a more nuanced, intelligent, cult what we call culturally intelligent relationship to each of these sets of values so that we can pull out some of the best of them and help them, you know, they make up American culture. They're not going anywhere, right? Anytime soon. So if we're going to have an American culture that works, we have to negotiate a new relationship between them. So one of the things we've been doing, for example, the Institute for Cultural Evolution is taking certain policy positions and breaking them down and saying, if we took this policy and we created a, sol a solution that would in some way create a win-win solution, meaning that traditional culture would get something out of this, modern culture would get something out of this, and the postmodern or progressive worldview would get a win out of this policy position what would that look like I'm starting to try to think in that way because to to step back for a moment part of what's happened in culture is we had this post-war era they call it the post-war consensus we got a lot done as a civilization we built a middle class in a different way one of the most successful periods economically in history we went to the moon we did all this stuff we got along relatively well now there were deep shadow sides to all of that right we can talk about american misbehavior colonialism we can talk about the, the our problems with empire we can talk about racial issues there are deep problems with all of that right and so a whole new generation came along and said the whole progressive generation say we have to that stuff's that's bad we have to break all that that we have to move and okay there, there's some reason for breaking all that and moving forward, but you have to be careful when you break things, right? That's the thing when you break things. Now we're, it's all broken. It all worked. The, all those hierarchy, old hierarchies are blown away. All that cultural consensus is broken, is gone. It's, and we are now in a completely fractured situation, right? So we went from this kind of more consensus oriented integrated situation where there was a lot of problems but we were able to accomplish things as a society do things together and agree on things to a situation where we we busted that up completely and the opportunity is that we busted it up for some good reasons 
and we developed some better, some values that needed to be in the mix, but more social justice, more equality, more ecologically responsible, richer understanding of the spiritual legacy of our, of humanity. All of the, all of those things are important, right? We, and the, they will help, they, they help culture and add to culture. But we are in a situation where culture is so fractured that we're in danger of a kind of a, a sort of cold civil war, a civil cold war, however you say, right? And that's mm -hmm. no good either. That doesn't get us anywhere, right? We're, we're hanging on a little bit by thread to have any kind of national consensus, right? So the opportunity is that we can create a new consensus, a new way of thinking about the whole of America that includes more. It includes more of all that, right? But right now, it's just, it's, everyone's at each other's throats. And so trying to say, okay, America's maybe bigger than it was. It includes more values than it did. But, and we have to, like as individuals and as culturally, recognize that, find a way to build alliances between those different value systems a deeper set of consensus that will ultimately be much better than it was in the 50s and 60s. But we can't fuck everything up in the meantime. <laughs> <Excuse my laughs> totally. language. You got it, yeah. <laughs> and if you're just a partisan for your particular values or your particular worldview or your particular political position, the concern is that you're just, even if there's a lot, some really healthy things in that, we all have to start to take a little more attention to the whole picture, to building this whole to building these deeper, broader alliances now. I, that's what we're trying to do at the Institute is help facilitate that kind of conversation and see what that might look like. Now, it may take a while, this, this may do, but we're trying to plant those seeds. Perfect. So I'll just name that. I've, folks are wondering about this. We've mentioned the Institute for Cultural Evolution. And then one of your projects is the developmentalist. And so you can find it developmentalist.org. Am I right there? And yeah. uh, and so that's where we can people can learn about see these policy positions, see all these yeah. things, and writing about this. And... Yeah, actually, could you just explain a little bit what's going on with that project, or just what yeah, people it's, might it's expect? It's kind of a media site and portal for a lot of our for people within our, the think tank who are writing for it, who are expressing some of these ideas. There's some. A lot of explanation of our, like you say, our policy positions, our ways of thinking, and also just people who are trying to take this idea and apply it to very practical writing columns about things that are happening in the world, in the world, writing columns about other thinkers, writing columns about climate, writing columns about issues in, in American culture. And so it's just, it's kind of a media portal to express a lot of the things that we're talking about. Yeah. Originally, it was called post-progressive. We changed the name to developmentalist, but it's kind of the same basic idea, which is what we're talking about. Trying to have, how do we kind of knit together these competing worldviews of American culture? What would that look like? What would perspective look like that started to do that? So, Perfect. Yeah. I, links in the show notes if you're interested, folks. Uh, so uh, there's a piece of nuance that I want to parse out here that we're talking about this post-war, I think it was called the liberal consensus, or this post-war consensus where everyone's yeah. like, let's just all agree on behalf of America. And, yeah. and, and there was like this- And, and after the war, that's a natural thing. People, there's a lot of evidence that people after wars are more willing to get along. As, you can understand, uh, that's inevitably. 
Uh, now no one's willing to get along. <laughs> it's just the cost of it. The cost. It's, that's one way to get culture to change and people to appreciate what it means to get along, right? All those things. And it kind of allows you to remake your institutions. It resets everything. In a way. But, but that's a huge cost. It's like we, we have to try to find ways to evolve without clearing the playing field with like a civil war or a world war. I mean, it's just like, anyway, but you're right. That is often in the past how things would kind of move forward. Exactly. If, yeah. Or be a disaster for a hundred years. So this is actually a distinction again, in the world of conflict resolution and transformation between negotiation or compromise and collaboration and compromise is let's meet 50 50 in the middle and we'll split the baby and we'll both get mostly what we want and and we're willing to do that yeah in our current politics people aren't willing to do that anymore and we're not going to go back to let's just figure out where the middle point is so when we're talking about this consensus that's coming out of this worldview or this developmental worldview. Yeah. It's about a consensus that's actually honoring all of the different perspectives. It's kind of, I don't know, I, the, I th it's hard to conceptualize, but it's, we have this and do we go to the middle or do we find the circle that holds the whole thing? Yeah. And there's something about zooming out and being like, oh, okay, all of us are going to be here. We're not going to get rid of the, this, we're not getting rid of the far right. We're not getting rid of the far left. We're not getting rid of the center. We're not all these folks are going to keep on being here and they all have something valid to contribute. How can we hold all of that without any of us giving something up? And, yeah. and something that I want to somehow think that since I've been engaging with you and Steve in this whole world is we have processes for that. We have people and skills and tools that can get diverse groups of people to come together to have effective conversations and actually come up with consensus from a lot of diversity and things like that. Yeah. And so again, like for those of you out there listening that are mediators or wanting to sort of think about like this lens can kind of help you think about what it would look like to get all these folks to talk to each other. But then for people who are with this lens, it's also worth remembering that we have experts and practitioners that are able to have these kinds of conversations. And so I just want to, there's all lottery based democracy and actually I'm going to jump right here to your most recent article that's on the developmentalist about making governing great again. And you talk about how there's expert, like trying experts are great because they have a very specific expertise, but they are not good at governing because governing is a nuanced, complex, multi-layer thing. Right. And so we can't just have rules from experts be the thing that's directing us. And I, it made me think about, there's good evidence that the smartest person is the group. <laughs> right that that if you can get the crowd kind of is the crowd is actually the, the smarter than any individual they can solve things, problems yeah, yeah. I mean, in politics it gets more complicated i think because sometimes crowds can be the passion of the crowd is not always what you want in your politics but yes sometimes it's true right well yeah and so i guess this is where like some of the tools come in and this is something i think we could probably unpack forever 
but an example of this that my mentor gives is if you take a like a jar full of jelly beans and you ask people guess how many jelly beans there are yeah. a lot of you'll get a huge range of guesses yeah the average is usually right yeah that's the cool thing huh? and and similarly if people are trying to solve some sort of puzzle or problem if you can get them into a process where they're actually having a thoughtful conversation that are listening to each other and allowing themselves to be moved by different things the consensus that can kind of come out of that often will be sort of the right answer to a problem if it has a right answer but also I don't know. There's something about getting people from all these worldviews across the perspective. One of the processes for this is like a lottery-based system. So you basically get a representative sample of the population and take them mm -hmm. through a thoughtful, deliberative process, the facilitator yeah. and some structure. And over time, they can come up with something that they can all agree on. And so we have processes for generating this that doesn't just have to come out of a think tank. I think that's just what I wanted to name there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, look, I think there are various forms of deliberative democracy. Like you're saying, I know some of those projects, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great ideas about how to have an impact on our current impasse politically, right. And our current struggles to make any kind of consensus or get things done at a national level or even local, level, even smaller state levels. And I think that part of what, and there's ideas about all kinds of issues, campaign finance and this and that, and all these things, right. That, and I've seen some that I thought, wow, that's a really, that's a great idea. That's that could be really good. That could really work. But it's very hard in a cultural climate like we have now to implement those things. So it's sort of a chicken and the egg thing. You have a lot of good solutions, but you're not in a cultural climate that is allowing the solutions to flourish. So I think we're, so it's, so I, a lot of people have really good ideas, but they just, they can't get the needed whatever it is, the needed X, Y, Z factor to, for them to be implemented or to move forward. And so I feel like it's sort of chicken and egg. As culture moves forward, if culture gets to that point, there's suddenly going to be a lot of new solutions available for us to use. And I think they could be very helpful and functional. But it's like the culture's not, it's not yet in a place where they're, as long as we're screaming at each other and the way we are, is like not all those kind of break down a bit. And so how do we get beyond that? I think we're trying, we're, our, conviction is a lot of those solutions and a lot of the politics are downstream from culture. So if you can have a little bit of an impact on culture, even a little bit, maybe you can free up a lot of the energy for all, for some of those solutions to work. Now, it may, 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 who knows exactly how it's going to happen. These are all different forms of solutions. They all might happen in different ways and we can't predict it, but at least that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help that process. So yeah, there's yeah. a lot of great solutions out there. There are, whether it's, and, and as you're saying, there's, yeah, you mentioned a few. Yeah, it's interesting uh, what, I mean, the question I want to, we'll come to in just a second is about how, like, how do we start making that shift? What actually do we needs to happen to, to move culture, to, to sort of get us out of this place where people don't even want to get along at this point? Yeah. 
or how to raise awareness that these lenses or approaches are even impossible. And one thing I wanted to say is, so I've actually organized my thinking about the, around the OmniWin project with a four quadrant perspective. So, and for integral people, you're going to get this real quick. And we have the internal things, we have the external objective, external reality, we have the individual and we have the collective. And so on the, I kind of think about how we have processes for communicating across differences. We have the tools and so forth, and those are skills that we can learn and behaviors that we can learn. We have systemic changes. As you mentioned, people are trying to make all these reforms. We yeah. can change this. We can add this into the system. People are trying to tweak the system. Yeah. And then we have a cultural shift that needs to happen. And we have lenses yeah. to sort of think about how we evolve as a culture mm -hmm. to collectively say, hey, we're all in this together, aren't we? Don't we want to get along and let's see if we can be inclusive, whatever that yeah. cultural shift would be. And then we have this personal work, right? And th that each of us need to do sure. to be able yeah. to admit that we don't have all the answers to open up to different perspectives to, yeah. to and to also be willing to evolve or grow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So oh, now I said there's two questions, we can go either way. So we could either like, as we'll come to the individuals next. How do you see as you're trying to do some of the shift in cultural thinking? What are some of the strategies or steps that you're thinking that might be necessary to help a cultural shift? Well, I think like what you're saying, you just like, there's, there's different things that different in different we can, things we can do individually. But the institute we're working on culture. I mean, that is okay. Culture is upstream from politics. There's times when you know, so that's kind of our main focus. But it's like, look, we're we're a small a small think tank. There's not we're not we're not the brookings institution we don't have those kinds of resources we're not some of these bigger but we hope but you know sometimes little changes can make a big difference and this is a time when we need new ideas and new ways of approaching so we're hoping we can have a real influence in, here and there and influence the influencers in some ways and influence the conversation and start getting people to think about these issues and start like getting in the mindset of we have to build like more robust win-win solutions to our political we have to we have to rethink the way we're partisan it doesn't mean we can't be partisan it doesn't mean we can't have strong opinions it doesn't mean we can't condemn the other side that we are whatever the other side from us it front for the things where we feel they're wrong or they're inappropriate but we have to make the the effort to also appreciate the, the healthy positives of the, the other side or different worldviews, different values, and trying to raise those up and trying to enrich those and trying to build, to understand that we need to build, build different forms of, like you say, collaboration and consensus than we built before. If we're gonna get, if we're gonna build this, if we're gonna kind of build a culture where we can get along. It doesn't mean we just all pretend to get along. We can still argue and we can disagree about all kinds of things. We can even fight about those things. But it's different than like the fight to the death kind of thing. Those people have to leave the country for me to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> we have to get beyond that. And we can't, not just by I'm gonna to pretend to be okay, 
we have to get beyond part of the way you get beyond that is by understanding these different relationships of values. And so you can see, oh, I see there's some really healthy values here and I can still don't like these. I can condemn those. But in that appreciating those, there's some healthy values and some of these other worldviews that in, I in general don't identify with or don't have great affinity for. Even by appreciating those healthy values, you can see, oh, we have to preserve those in important ways even while maybe we condemn and be partisan in other way. So mm -hmm. when people get that, that changes how you relate to the culture war. It really does. Yeah. And I think that's a huge, important, dramatic transformation in how we kind of approach this whole, the whole political sphere. Oh, yes. Wow. Thank you. You know, what part of what you're saying is reminding me of, something that I guess I got from Ken Wilber, like back when I was first exploring integral theory. And because I, so I agree I, that the, the point that you're making that culture is upstream from politics is I think is important, right? That like, what is our cultural value system? And part of what we would like to add into this cultural value system is that we would like for there to be a win-win world, right? And we want to, build a future for a country that is holding all of these truths and bringing forward the best of them. Yeah. And that's a value that would be with the, you, I, y'all like would like to infuse into our culture. Right. Yeah. And so the question changing culture is the most durable change that we can do, but it's also the hardest because it's a the hardest. It's the hardest because people can't really see culture. That's part of it. It's like the sea, the ocean of the fish in the ocean, right? The yeah, it's hard doesn't, to see, right? It's really hard to see. It's hard to become that cultural awareness. And it's all one big soup. People, it's very hard to make sense of it. Right. So what I'm remembering though is that Ken Wilber pointed out or that it was only about 10% of the world believed in democracy or believed in this democratic modern reality when the United States was born and they were able to get this, they were able to be the leaders to sort of bring this new worldview into reality. Yeah. And so part of it, like if we're trying to change the culture, part of what we want to do is get there to be just enough, that critical mass or that of people that are looking in a new way it's at the world. kind of world. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he makes that great point. He says, look, you know, one of the unique things about the United States was, was sort of one of the first countries in the world, like built from the ground up on modern, what we call, might call modernist principles, right? So uh, meaning that the constitution, all these were built on kind of secular, new secular value, values based on the enlightenment. We weren't like in Europe where they kind of arose out of these kind of tribal uh, affiliations or, or kind of national affiliate or, or other cultures around the world. Because just because of the way the U.S. came about, it was one of the first countries in the world was kind of based on modernist sort of principles that had derived from the enlightenment this new at the time that was kind of a new worldview that was arising in the era they had a whole set of ways to restructure our political world based on these enlightenment values right based on these kind of modernist worldview values and he kind of makes the point that it's not like everyone was at that state the most most people are probably more still traditional religious people and those kind of really, but Royalists, enough people yeah. were, yeah. enough people had those values that you had a critical mass where you were able to create a national consensus of that allowed it to move forward. Right. And, and so that was, 
So it's not like you, not like everyone has to be in a certain place for something to really happen and move forward. If we go back to the Renaissance, it's probably, or it's like there wasn't enough, there, that was also a flowering of sort of early modern, some modernist ideas, but it probably wasn't deep enough in the culture to have for that to be sustainable or some other cultures in history. But by that time in the U.S., it, it was. And when you're able to, not only was it, you have enough people, but you're to create, you're able to create structures and institutions and society that were derived from this new worldview. So, so the country itself was sort of the help, the gravity of the country to hold to that, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, and we can see now that even though it's actually a pretty small subset of our population that is in the progressive worldview lens, like the really postmodern lens, and or very small slice that is considers themselves anti-racist, or uh, there's enough that the gravity is starting to pull and very influential, yeah. right? Because it's new and and look, there there was a tremendous fra moral fragrance, we might say, to these ideas for the most of the last few decades. Because I think the culture as a whole mostly recognized that they were important ideas, right? We needed to do something about race in America. We needed to move forward on that. We needed to do something about the environment and ecology. And we and there was this kind of flowering of the sort of spiritual but not religious movements and all that. I think there was a recognition that those were morally fragrant ideas and, and ethically important. We needed, even across multiple worldviews, there's a recognition of that. And, uh, but like you say, it's not like the whole, it's not like the whole country became postmodern or progressive or <laughs> it drops the values of the hippies or whatever. Obviously you know, not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite the opposite. It caused, it also caused a big black backlash, but we can see that that those values have become more and more influential in the culture. Right. And it's only been more so recently with what happened with George Floyd and the whole thing over the, uh, over COVID, that was a, a huge, another kind of surge in the, in, among young people too, of the influence of a whole set of values. And that, that kind of were built, they're different. They're a little different. They've evolved in the last 40 years. They're a little different now. We, and that's its own thing. We can talk about that, but you can see it's like, I don't know what, how, what percentage of the country, 10, 10 million, 20 million, 10%, 20%, 30%. I don't know, but they're very influential in certain parts. They're influential in younger, in the younger generations. They were, they have a big influence on media. They have, a, I always, I like to say sometimes that postmodernism runs the media and, or runs the culture and media and modernism still runs the economic world. You know, they're kind of, you can see there's a great deal of tension between those two worlds. Yeah, exactly. Well, so I think what I'm coming, thinking about now is that if we want to take the lesson from these past, from these other evolutionary leaps that we've made, that if we want to bring forward developmentalist integral post-progressive or a new layer of cultural layer of thinking, a new worldview that wants to hold all this and look for the win-win solutions. Yeah. Part of the strategy would be to get enough people to think and feel that way. And so I kind of, I think one kind of question I want to wrap with is if you are there individuals out there that are like, oh, wow, this is really making sense or I'm interested in this, how would you what actions might you invite or yeah, what actions might you invite the listeners to 
to think about if they want, if they're interested in taking on a more integral perspective or being more of an evolutionary, like how, if they want to be inspired, how can they, where, yeah, what advice would you give for people who are wanting to grow along the trajectory and sort of contribute yeah. to that win-win future? Great question. And I, I think that, I think some of the ideas that we're talking about can seem to people more intellectual. And there is some, and you can go very deeply intellectually with some of these ideas, but I, you don't have to to embrace some of them. But I do think you have to spend a little time thinking about them and trying to understand what we're talking about. It's worth it to, to pursue it a little bit, either through some of the resources we've talked about. You certainly visit our work and our website. But part of this idea is, okay, how do I want to live in a less polarized world? How do I depolarize my own thinking a bit? And it doesn't mean you can't have strong opinions or be partisan for values you really care about. It, it really doesn't. But it might mean that you have to question, also question some of some convictions that you have either about your own values or about the other side, whatever your particular, whatever the other side of you, of your positions are. You might have to rethink some of those or look a little deeper at some of those or reconsider some of those. And we have, there's some resources on that we've developed to help people do that and help people think about those. They can go to this side, they can, there are opportunities to learn and to educate themselves. And there's some tests and things that people can take. They're kind of fun to sort of question, to help kind of question your own, yourself and your values and the way you look at the world and give you another perspective on it and help you think more deeply about it, hopefully. All of that. So I, I think people, it's like we kind of invite people to try to depolarize themselves as well as the culture. And not, again, not just win the culture war. We we're not again we're, we need to get out of the winner take all battle for the future american culture we all have to live here and it doesn't mean we have to succumb to the lowest common denominator whatever we hate about the other side but we do all have to live here and so we need to go forward with that with trying to build a society we can all live in and that may look different than today's society but it can be but it can work and so yeah i appreciate that the invitation to depolarize ourselves and we most, uh, I think if you ask most people, what's the problem? Polarization? Do you like it? No. What do you do? Look inside your heart. And I, I was reminded by a piece of advice that my father gave me growing up, which was, if you're in a fight with someone, take some time. And then he gave this little caveat to make it accessible, even if it's just when you're taking a shit in the toilet by yourself, <laughs> to consider what, why the other person might think the way they think, right? What is actually a reason if, if, if they are, a, this person might actually have some reason to sort of be thinking the way they are and take some time to reflect on that. And then I think that would be a sort of, yeah, I'll add into your advice. Just think about, well, why might someone think that way? Is there a reason why was it Steve says, and people have where we are people of good faith and assuming that these people are really care and trying to do good yeah. in this world yeah why would they be taking this totally yeah. different approach to things and and open to that and yeah and also give a shout out to all the great quizzes and stuff over here website it's yeah. really fun <laughs>
Yeah, they are. They're good. Exactly. Yeah. I think we've done some good job of that. Steve's created some of those. And he's done a really good job. And I think some part of it is I've been more influenced by the progressive world. And I feel like I understand that world a little better in some ways, even though I grew up in a more traditional world. I grew up in Oklahoma, so it was a little more of a traditional world. But because I've been in that progressive world a little more, I feel like I understand that. And I, I would invite people to again, find ways to move culture forward without, without overthrowing the best of what's come before, even unintentionally, even accidentally. And some of the, even what I know a lot of my progressive friends may consider completely misguided political positions, sometimes come deeply from an effort to preserve some of the good of what's come before. So I feel the more we can, uh, in, the more we can appreciate, even as we condemn some of the sins of history, right? Right. The more we can appreciate that's, that there was a lot of, good that's happened over the last 150 years, 100 years, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years in America. Let's just stuck in America for a sec. A lot of good that's happened. And a lot of that has created this all kinds of, has created the foundations of the world in which we can make all those criticisms. Believe me, if I was, we weren't living in these nice places with these nice rooms with this guy, we wouldn't <laughs> be able to do this. Yeah. So. It doesn't mean we can't remake the world again and remake the, and create a better world, but it's harder than people think to make the world better without making it worse at the same time. I was in a group last night where someone was talking about Bucky Fuller. Bucky Fuller had this great line where he said, don't try to change what's there, build something new and make what's there irrelevant. Build, and there's something great about it. You build new things and it will make what's there irrelevant. That's great. But the culture, it's tricky. You have to be careful about that because you can't just remake the world in your image and hope that the world's gonna, and, and get rid of all that. We have to, we have to climb on the, we have to, we can't just cut the ladder out from underneath us. We, we, we are creatures, all of us, of this cultural evolution that's happened. And we contain all that history in ourselves, in our culture, all the sins of that history, all the dignities and breakthroughs of that history. And there's some way as we move forward, we have to sort of come to terms with that. And coming to terms with that doesn't mean just throwing it overboard and trying to remake the world anew. That, is a, that, can, that has its own kind of disaster associated with it. Let's evolve. Let's, not, let's evolve more than we, we, have to, we have to, let's be evolutionaries, not revolutionaries, as I say. And there'll be some revolutions along the way, but if our focus is on evolution, I think those revolutions will be more, they'll be healthier and they won't set us back a hundred years or whatever mm -hmm. it is, or yeah. what, who knows, maybe more if we, if the, with the more technology we have. So, so I guess that's the yeah. thing is let's find ways to do that. Let's find it. And look, it's going to be a, it's a fractious, contentious era, right? but it's partially fractious and contentious because we've changed, right? Because culture has evolved in some way, it has, but it's broken up culture, it's broken, it's blown it apart. And we thought it was a great idea to blow it apart. Now we're paying this pain for the, what we did. What we did, meaning like what progressives did essentially. They broke the culture apart, but the opportunity is there to recreate it in a way that where it's richer and better than before. Yeah. But we, if we can avoid a civil war along the way, if we can avoid the greater downsides of an incredibly fractious time, it will all be work out better for us. 
I hope we can do that. There's no guarantee we can do that. We could enter into a culturally difficult period that could be a last for an extended period of time. Yeah. But the opportunity is to recreate some kind of new collaborative context, some kind of new consensus at a higher level, really, at a level that includes more, that makes the, that does make culture better. It does make it richer. It does include more of the concerns that progressives wanted. They wanted more ecological concerns. They wanted to be concerned about climate. They wanted social justice and they wanted a more spiritually rich culture, right? We can have that in many ways, but we can't have that if we just try to overthrow the past and try to get rid of all that. We need those foundations. We need those, that traditional culture. We need the wealth and prosperity that, that free markets and capitalism brought us. Even if we respond to the ecological downsides of that. So, so it's like we have to knit the world together in a way that includes a lot more. Yeah. And if we can do that, the opportunity is tremendous. But it may take us some time to get there. May, this may take decades to get to that something else. And we may go through some rough periods in the process. But we can't. We have to start now. You know? Absolutely. And I think that there's something about we need to buy into our role in the journey, right? Because like I am benefiting from the past and the fan wonderful fancy world that I get to live in. I'm benefiting from all the struggles for justice. I'm benefiting from all the struggles for all so much and, and, and people who gave their lives for this. Right. I mean, like really remembering that. And then, yeah. and to say this history is some evil thing that I don't want everything to do with. And I'm going to go over here. There's that way, this part of the deep polarizing of ourselves is to not otherize because we otherize our national history we're otherizing ourselves yeah right, right. and Absolutely. and one of my quotes uh, I, I don't know if you've heard this but it's spin off of one you'll recognize if you're not part of the problem you can't be part of the solution right you have to recognize oh i'm a member of this country yeah, i'm benefiting right, exactly, from this. Right. I, I my ancestors own slaves and i benefit from colonialism and yeah. I don't like it, but that's part of me. Yeah. And I'm not going to just try to say that all the bad stuff is out there and all the good stuff is in here. Instead, recognizing that yeah, we're all trying to figure this stuff out. And there's a the polarity process. there too, yeah. right? It's yeah. like that balance between like, I own this, this is part of me, it's part of my family, it's part of my history, it's part of my nation, it's part of our culture, you know, especially for those of And then but then not, we also don't want, I guess we don't want to flip the other side, which is, it's all bad. We have to recognize, it's, therefore, I'm just, I've got nothing to offer. I have to be, I have to kind of collapse into shame either. That doesn't, that just kind of then you flip. And so holding both that, that polarity of both is, my, my colleague wrote a great article about America called The Politics of Pride and Shame. We got pride in America for its great accomplishments. They're unusual and they're exceptional in terms of history. We can have shame for America for its great disaster, great problems and the things it did wrong. And so many problems and so many things and so many, so much karma that was created over the centuries. We can look at it both ways. But if we only can look at it one of those ways, <laughs> it's going to be, that's a, that in itself is a problem because that's an untruth. Right? Exactly. So. Yeah. That's. It was a little note that I made on your the article about governing great. Uh, was that 
like our politics is a process and science is a process. Any person, a friend of mine recently said, if, if someone is saying that they know the absolute truth and it's undeniable, they're wrong. We don't even know how knowledge works. There's a way that if you try to get that fixed position, like this is the right choice, that's where things get messed up. It's like recognizing that we're in a dynamic, evolving process. When you try to make the fixed points, that's where we yeah. get into trouble. And, and then the solutions we find are always in relationship to what came before. Even the way we want to overthrow everything is usually in relationship to what came before. And so, but we have enough sense of history and I look at all that and kind of from a bigger perspective and have some appreciation for that and not just get caught up in the moment. And I understand like the solutions of another era were that they weren't perfect, but they were in response to what came before. And the solutions of this era, we can look at the bigger, we can look at the bigger sweep of history now and maybe build solutions that are a little more durable for our, for the whole culture. Because look, it doesn't look like one side, I, I guess the other way you could say if it's one side just vanquished the other, right? <laughs> that would be the other way to, to solve the polarization problem. But that doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. And I'm not sure that would create its own problems. The logical conclusion of I have the right answer and they have the wrong one yes. is dark. That's dark whoever we are, right? Right. Whatever group's trying to get rid of the other half is, I mean, that's where we get into dark things. I I wrote a, I wrote a, like a, an article in recently called who wants to skip the civil war, but it was kind of based on the idea that there are moments in history when for whatever reason, a, a dark force arises that we have to defeat. And World War II, we can talk about was like that other points in history like that. But I feel like sometimes the mythos of our culture is so based around that, that we all, we all want to be actors in that drama in, in our own lives. And that's usually not what the actual issues are about. And certainly at this time in history, I just think that's a poor mythological template to act out right now is to be the hero in a drama of defeating the evil of history. I just think we have to be careful about that mythological drama right now. Because I think it's a much more complex situation. And if we, and we try to act out that drama right now, that's a very tricky situation. That's I think that could lead us in some bad directions. We're looking for that North star, like where, what is our trajectory going towards the more true, the more good, the more beautiful. And, yeah. and we have a counterpoint, which is not that, and we are the ones who are choosing this, right? Like what direction do we want to go? Do we want to make sure that there's space for everyone and we're the leading edge of time and existence and the universe, we have the benefit one of being in contact with everyone on the planet different than times in the past. And we know our history. And we all win or we all lose. It's we either are going to figure that out how we all make this planet work and humanity keeps on going, and, or it gets real dark. And but it's our choice. Yeah, I feel like that. Again, I think the lurching toward utopia is it won't lead to utopia probably at this point. <laughs> I think the kind of unconscious lurching and hitting the two sides of the guardrail continuously until we pummel ourselves into submission. 
and move forward a little bit. It's probably not the, it's not the, I don't think that, I'm not sure that's going to work anymore in history very well. I think we have to be a little more conscious about how we move forward, a little more awake, a little more aware of where we come from, a little more intentional about how we go forward and how we engage with each other. And I think then we can, then I think that's what's going to take us forward in a way where the, just the kind of the drift, the kind of unconscious drift of how we've gotten here is probably not enough to get us where we need to go. Because we know that we're evolving. And so we get to do something that hasn't happened in the past is we get to consciously evolve, right? Yeah. Amen. Carter, thank you for this. That's Thanks, great. Duncan. That was, yeah. that was fun. Thank you so much for listening to the OmniWin Project podcast. I am so grateful to today's guest for being on today's podcast. And if you liked what they had to say and you want to learn more about them or any of the things we discussed in the episode today, check them out in your show notes right there on your podcast app or come on down to omniwinproject.com where you can get even more information. You can find a video version of this podcast as well as the transcript. And there are many more episodes that are going to be coming soon. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast right now and share it with a friend while you're at it. As you go into the rest of your day, I invite you to remember that we are all co-creating our future right now and we all have a role to play in the whole. Thank you for listening to the Omni Win Project podcast. Have a wonderful day.